say that uh, that was great composure that you showed and demonstrated for us, Shane, uh, to be uh, up here and have microphone failures and then somebody up your back and like up the vest like, hey, yeah, good job, way to go. That's uh, definitely not easy. Um, we, uh, we've been in James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12 for now four weeks. You're probably sick of James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12 of chapter 3, uh, and this is our last time in the passage this week uh, before we start a new series. So go ahead and turn to James chapter 3 because we'll, we're really just kind of using this as a jump off point and we're going to get into Ephesians actually, but I just want to demonstrate that there's power in our words. So um, it's in James chapter 3 just so you can see a few things there. But here's the thing, our Christianity plays itself out in everyday moments, it plays us like it's our, our life is composed of just all these like little moments put back to back to back, and then all of a sudden we have a life, and our Christianity plays itself out in everyday moments. And it's actually really rather easy to come to church and sit through a sermon. Maybe not last week, right? But uh, but hopefully normal weeks. It's it's easy to sit through a sermon. It also might be relatively easy for the Spirit to do His work of conviction on us as we attentively listen to the sermon being preached, but it's especially hard to work out those convictions in the various moments we find ourselves in on a day-to-day basis throughout our weeks. Our Christianity plays itself out in the moment by moment. Our lives are made up of little moments that are shared with people that we're in close proximity to and we're forced to communicate with. And so the goal of this sermon is to learn how to exercise some self-control over our speech patterns in the moment with these people. So today we want to be very practical and we want to work to discover and apply some rules of engagement to our speech. James chapter 3 verses 1 through 12, we've talked about how our speech has an incredible amount of power in it, either for good or for bad, either for blessing or for cursing. You can see it all throughout there. And today what we want to do is we want to be very practical now and discover to apply these rules of engagement to our speech. It seems like these days, as you kind of flip to like different news media outlets, uh, we're being informed that there's war crimes that have potentially taken place in the Russia-Ukrainian war. There's discussions of war crimes and crimes against humanity, and the question is, have they been committed? And the the deciding factor is these rules of engagement that the world has kind of agreed upon. Rules of engagement help us to determine when, where, how, and against whom military force might be used. It's kind of just general recognized procedures and standards that are essential to the code of conduct and effectiveness for quote-unquote civilized warfare. It's a prior set of rules that the world has agreed upon to fall under even during wartime. So like it or not, we are at war We're at war, but it's not with each other. It's not with those people that occupy the same seats in your pews, okay, or in your church or in your house. You're not at war with them. You might feel like you're at war with those in your world, but you aren't. The war is actually against the passions that wage war against your own flesh and against the devil who laughs when he creates havoc in our most prized relationships, And we don't want the devil to steal from us or to kill us or destroy our most prized relationships. So we actually need to sign off on an agreed upon set of rules of engagement with ourselves and with each other 
so that we can stand in the day of trouble against the enemy's schemes. So one of the famous sayings of Jesus, he was famous for saying many things, but one of the things he said was, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. And it's been joked about that the saying would seem even more true if he said wherever two or three are gathered, there's a conflict ready to happen, right? Some of you say, yeah, that that sounds like my house, right? So this is obviously a joke, right, but it's no laughing matter. Conflict in our relationships is inevitable, but because of the gospel, we can actually see conflict as opportunities. We can actually glorify God becoming more like him when we're faced with conflict and opposition. And good relationships don't just happen automatically. And they're not immune from problems either. And we've already noticed in the text as we've been in this for four weeks now that we've been studying this in the last month that we all stumble in many ways. So look at James chapter 3 verse 2. It says this, for we all stumble in many ways. Can we just admit that? We all stumble in many ways, and primarily, if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man or a complete man, a mature man, able also to bridle his whole body. One of the primary ways that we demonstrate our strong knack to stumble is by the way that we speak. The overflow of our hearts speaks, and when they do, our words give evidence to all of the sin and the selfishness that still remains deep down in our hearts. And no relationship is immune from sin and selfishness. And so James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, that passage that we've been in for a month now, has demonstrated the incredible power that our words have, either for good or bad. And now we want to take all that theoretical knowledge that we'd say, yeah, I see it, that kind of makes sense to me. Now we want to take that theoretical knowledge that we've accumulated, and now we want to make progress down the road of Christ's likeness today. And so we're going to jump into Ephesians for some help with that. So turn to Ephesians chapter 4. And I just want to give a little shout out. I want to give credit to where credit is due. This message is really based off of the biblical counseling training that I've received and dozens in our congregation are going through right now. This is just evidence of some of the training and the tools that will prove helpful in meeting the needs of the most troubled relationships among us. And so I know Garrett made a shout out a couple weeks ago when he was doing equipping hour about, about people getting trained in biblical counseling. We're going to offer another session next year as well. I hope all of us go to it because it will just benefit us. These are the things that we're going to be talking about. And so I want to give credit to where credit is due and it's really due God and his word. So to God be the glory for everything that we just talk about today. We want to thank the servants of God who have studied God's word and sought to organize it and apply it to our specific conversation. So with that in mind, let's turn our attention to what God's word has to say. Before we do that, let's pray. God, there's a, there's a lot to work on here this morning, and uh, a lot of it's coming down by way of rules and laws and commands, and apart from your power, we could never do these things, and we would be drowning deeper in our despair, throwing our hands up and saying, I can't do it. Um, so I pray that you'd meet us with your grace here and empower us by your spirit, first of all, to listen, and then also to obey this word that you speak to us today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So open up to Ephesians chapter 4. I know we're in James, but we're going to borrow from Ephesians. Ephesians 4, verses 22 through 24, Paul stresses 
the importance of laying aside the old self. There's this, there's this old way of doing things that needs to be laid aside, this old way of doing things, and then we need to put on a new self, which is God's way of handling matters. So you see it in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22 through 24, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life. And not only that, it was corrupt through its deceitful desires, and then to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And what's so interesting about this is right after Paul says what he says here, he launches into a section of verses that deal with our speech. and from which we will come up with some rules of engagement. And I'm going to ask you to repeat the rules after me, and if we were in a biblical counseling session, and you sit with me, and you have sat with me, some of you have, you're like, okay, I remember that rule, right? All right, so this is just a big, broad counseling session we're going to have here. Repeat after me. Rule number one is to be honest. Please say that. Be honest. Good. Rule number one is we have to be honest with our speech. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 25 says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. And what I see from here are at least two things that we need to notice this ver- from this verse. The first is this, is that we need to speak. We need to speak. Ephesians 4.25 says, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak. Now, I get it. This command might be one of the hardest things for, to, for us to obey who would much rather flee than fight. I'm sure that we've heard of these typical responses to conflict. We either fight or we flee. They're fight or flee responses or fight or flight. We've talked about these before. We usually tend to slip to one side and fight or we slip to the other side and flee. And it's important to notice that these two extremes to responses to conflict are not good. Both escape and attack responses are almost always destructive to relationships. And so we have to look at this first rule of being honest. And this rule just rules out the option of just running away from our problems. God's word says, look, you must speak. Many of us, myself included, have a natural tendency to just look for the easy, convenient way, right? We have a natural tendency to avoid conflict rather than resolve it. And so we like to pretend that what's really there isn't there. And this has a negative impact on relationships. I'm an escaper. That's just, that's, that's my natural tendency is to look for the easy and the convenient, non-threatening solution to the conflict that I'm facing. It's easy for me to live in denial and pretend a problem doesn't exist. And so I often just flee or retreat or just clam up in order to produce a temporary solution or get me out of a situation. But as time goes by, like it always does, the conflict doesn't go away and the problem gets worse. That's what happens for us escapers who just want to flee and pretend like nothing is there. Did I just describe anyone in the congregation? All right? 
Okay, here's a composite sketch of the person who we're talking about, me, right? That's me. That's ugly, right? As awkward and as inconsistent as it might be for you to understand this, I speak in front of hundreds of people. I preach, I teach, I lead meetings and counseling sessions. But I clam up so often, especially in my relationship with Suzanne. I often withhold my feelings from my thoughts and I'm not being honest. And this command comes to me. The command in this verse comes to me and it says, speak. Sean, speak. It's like giving a command to a dog. Speak. And then the dog barks, right? You might not understand what the dog is saying, but at least it's demonstrating that the dog knows how to obey a direct command. God's word tells me, Sean, speak. Be honest. God's word comes to us escapers and our fleers, and he commands us to speak. No matter how amazing your spouse is, or your child, or your sibling, or your friend, or your neighbor, your coworker might be, they cannot read your mind. So you have to speak. Clamming up is out for those who seek to obey Scripture. And I, I say this with, with heavy conviction, but I say this with a little bit of despair because I know that I can't do this on my own. I can't just will myself to do this. I need to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit who can help me open up my heart and my mouth so I can share my thoughts with those that I love and those that love me in return. So the first thing we see in this is to be honest is that we need to speak. And the second part of that is that we need to speak truth. We have to speak truth. Now this is the second time in 10 verses that Paul talks about speaking truth. He says it in, in 425 in our verse, and then he also says it in next verse, in 10 verses earlier, 415. He says this, rather speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Speaking the truth and then in love in verse 15 is a verb form that involves continuously action, acting on it, continuous action. Always speak the truth in love. We are to always speak the truth. And we so often fail to continually speak the truth. And we looked at it last week when we identified some examples of dishonesty. A lot of times we lie to avoid something uncomfortable or unpleasant, or we lie to avoid punishment or consequences, and all of that will catch up with us either now or later, so I'm encouraging all of us to stop withholding the truth and start speaking the truth about what's going on in your heart. Now, sometimes we speak, but what we say is absolutely incongruent with all of our nonverbal communication and what it's saying. This is what psychologists and counselors refer to paralinguist uh, uh, language or halo data, halo language. It's all the physical data that can be directed or detected about how you're saying what you're saying. So get this. This is where we really struggle, okay? People have done studies, and I never really know how they calculate the information, and I'm sure it's documented, but I don't have time or the energy to verify it. But they have, and anyway, they say a significant source of our emotional information is in the face. They say actually as much as 55% of our meaning is found in our facial expressions. So I used to direct a choir, like a 30 or 40 person choir on stage, and I would tell them, if you're happy and you know it, tell your face. 
Because sometimes they're up there and they're singing about how great our God is and they look like they're bored out of their mind. I'm like, you're so incongruent, right? Like you're saying awesome things, but your face is not telling me that at all. There's an incongruency to what your message is. 55% of our emotional information is found in this type of stuff, like our eyebrows, right? And our smiles and the countenance of our face. So just think about how much you can communicate with just nonverbal emojis. Let's look at this. What are we communicating with this? You're feeling happy, right? Right? What are you feeling when you feel this way? Like, really happy, right? Like, like you're, oh, that's crazy, right? He, there's, no, there's no verbiage coming out of this. This is just a picture, right? This is all nonverbal communication. What's this one? All right? Kind of indifferent, confused maybe, a little, a little cautious. What's this one? What's that one? Sad, right? Anyone feel sad ever? That's, yeah. Good. What's the next one? Uh-oh. What if you get that one? Kind of like a wink, right? What about this next one? Ooh, the smoochy kiss wink, all right? <laughs> Something's coming your way. You see that and you think this maybe. What's the next one? Yikes. <laughs> what's, what's going on here, right? Or, or like, yeah, that's the one I get from my wife. <laughs> that's not true. I just, I'm talking about being honest and I'm lying, right? What's this next one? <clears throat> right, now we're all mad. What about this next one? Really mad, my face is all red. All right, what's the next one here? That looks like a lot of you today. What's going on there? You're communicating something to me. Next one, that's me. That's typically just me. That's my favorite go-to emoji. That's how I usually feel, all right? But studies have also documented that 38%, we could take that one off probably, yeah. Um, They're getting it all the time anyway, right? Um, studies have also documented that 38% of our emotional meeting is communicated in what they term as vocal cues, okay? Vocal cues are things like volume, pitch, and intensity. So if you do the math, and I'll give some examples of that later, if you do the math, 93% of the emotional meaning of our messages is communicated non-verbally. People are perceptive And they can detect if you're genuinely interested or indifferent into what you're saying to them. And it goes the other way. People can actually read your nonverbals like a book and they can recognize whether or not you're being truthful or inconsiderate or manipulative. So honesty is more than just not lying. Honesty is being open and truthful and that all the messages that we send verbally or non-verbally must be genuine. Colossians 3, 9 says, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. So we must speak the truth in love and not just bludgeon people with the truth. Some of us are really good at that. We don't just have the green light to just let the truth rip. Sometimes we can be so brutal with the truth, and that's when we need to remember that we're only to let what come out of our mouth, what passes the threefold screening test we talked about two weeks ago. Will it build this person up? Will it fit the occasion? Will it give grace to all who hear? Unmerited, undeserved kindness and favor to everyone who hears the words that are coming out of my mouth. We must speak the truth with the other person's best interest in mind. And we must give careful attention to not only what we say, but how we say it 
tone of voice, volume, facial expressions, etc. So Paul writes the Colossians and says this in Colossians 4, 6. Let your speech always be gracious. When? Always. Always. Even in conflict. Always. So rule number one is what? Be honest. Good. Rule number two is to keep current. Say that with me. Rule number two is keep current. We get ourselves in trouble here a lot. These are rules of engagement we have to abide by. We need to be honest and we need to keep current, keep short accounts. Ephesians 4, 26 through 27. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. This is really interesting. Every verb in these two sentences are commands. They're imperatives. This is very interesting because you could say, well, what did you learn in church today? And you could say, oh, Pastor Sean commanded us to be angry, right? Wow, interesting church that you go to there. The truth is, is that although anger is a part of the universal human experience, it's hard to do anger right. But Paul commands that we do be angry. So what does he mean by that? Well, David Pallison, he's a biblical counselor who's passed away, has written extensively on the topic. And I'm just going to summarize a teaching briefly because this isn't a sermon on anger. But I, do want to pass, I don't want to pass up on an opportunity to speak to something that's a universal problem for all of us. At its core, anger is an active displeasure towards something that's important enough that you care about it. All right? I don't get angry if there's an icing call at a Seattle Kraken game, right? I don't care about hockey. Some of you are like really angry now at me, right? I'll talk about football all the time, but not hockey. I don't, I don't really care that much about hockey. Plus, I don't even know how icing works, all right? Our anger always makes a value judgment. We, we value something, so we're invested in it. Our anger always makes a value judgment about situations, and it arises from our natural sense of justice. If we perceive that something that we value, if we perceive that there's been a perversion of justice, our natural inclination is to respond in anger. We size up a situation, we look at it and say, that's either good or that's bad. We're wired that way and it's good, but because of the fall, it's become bad. Our judgments and our values and our desires have all become disordered. And so we tend to fly off the handle at things that we shouldn't fly off the handle about because we value those things wrongly and too much. To correct this, you must be born again and cooperate with the Holy Spirit as he does his work of conviction and empowerment. Listen to this phrase by Pallison. It takes grit. You must honestly and patiently wrestle with yourself. You must consciously choose to become a different person. You must work at it over a lifetime. If you struggle with anger, this is something that will take grit, honesty, patience, wrestling, consciously choosing to become a different person and work at it until you die. 
our Christianity is lived out in the moments. And Paul commands us in this verse that we be angry and not sin and not let the sun go down on our anger because if we did, we would give the devil an opportunity to produce a whole bunch of de- devastation and destruction in our relationships. So let me point this out real quick as we talk about keeping current. There's a lot of times that people will ruffle our feathers. They'll, they'll, they'll get under our skin a bit, especially those that we live with or that we work with or that we're friends with. And this verse says, be angry yet don't sin, don't let the sun go down. Paul does not mean this in a literal way. He isn't demanding that we pay attention to the exact minute of sunset on each given day and then clear our frustrations, right? Think about this, daylight savings. Does anyone like that? No, right? Yeah, maybe some people do. Daylight savings wasn't even invented until 1918, right? And maybe we're gonna get away with it. I don't know if we are or not. So it's not like people were disobeying God's word, you know, for 1,900 years until we invented this thing. What Paul commands is that we don't let unresolved anger fester for very long before we deal with it appropriately. That's the point. Why? Because unresolved anger, when something gets under your skin that somebody did something to you, unresolved anger opens the door to all kinds of temptations and sins. When we don't deal with our frustrations and our anger, the anger that other people that we love, all right, the other people that we love are in grave danger because of what we're feeling. Anger can quickly give way to bitterness. Bitterness is that state of mind that willfully holds on to angry feelings, and that results in people being resentful, cynical, harsh, cold, relentless, and unpleasant to be around. And that's why scripture says to us, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. Get that away from you. If you feel that and you get it out of you, deal with it in the right way. And if we don't, we're just one step closer to what John writes about. Whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in the darkness. Come out of the darkness. And if we give way to hatred, we're just a heartbeat and a decision away from seeking wrongful vengeance. And when we start to punish people because of the wrong that they have committed against us, the problem is God says that vengeance is his, and he's actually way better at it than we are. And so when we act out in vengeance because we don't keep a short account, when we act out in vengeance by punishing others, we're actually delusional and actually playing the role of God and we've dethroned him in our lives and that should scare you. You're not very good at being God. And all of this results because we didn't observe and apply the second rule of engagement and that is to keep current. So rule number one is to be honest. Rule number two is to keep current. You know, everything that Jesus says is true, but some things just seem to just, you know, be incredibly crystal clear. Like when he says in Matthew chapter 6, 34, that today's problems are enough to deal with today. Remember that one? You're like, yeah. Today's problems are heavy, and so will tomorrow's. So it stands to reason that it's in everyone's best interest if I don't carry today's problems over into tomorrow or else you're going to wake up angry tomorrow because you're still dealing with today's stuff. 
So our rule of engagement is to keep current. The third rule is attack problems, not people. Say that with me. Rule number three is attack problems, not people. A lot of times we want to attack people and not problems. Look what Ephesians 4, verses 29 through 30 says. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Now last week, if you are here, we actually talked extensively about corrupting talk, rotten talk. So there's no need to rehash that. We've already highlighted the threefold straining process that we also see here, so no need to rehash that, but we can still extract a rule of engagement as we heed a stern warning from this verse. Rule number three is this, attack problems, not people. Think about this. We usually engage in conversations that we have a general interest in. Sometimes you're just drawn into a conversation, you can't help it, but usually if you're conversing with somebody, you have a general interest in what you're conversing about. And so we engage in dialogue on things that, according to our opinion, they matter to us, and we have a little bit of skin in the game, and so when a problem arises that we need to talk about, we're already emotionally invested in the conversation. And if we're emotionally invested, our heart rate can rise quite a bit, and we can go into attack mode to protect what we value. But the problem is that we often attack people instead of the problems that we might be facing. And some of you, like, this is the rule that is just devastating your life because you're not following it. Sometimes we label people with derogatory words by saying to the person who doesn't see things our way, they're stupid. Or the person who left the clothes on the floor or the toothpaste in the sink, well, they're a slob. And if we use these words, we're actually attacking people, and that usually makes the problem worse. Some of the common phrases that we use are, you always or you never. These phrases are an attack on a person's character. And they are rarely ever true. And they rarely ever help to navigate to the conversation to a point of solution towards the initial problem. Usually they create more problems. That's why I said last week, when words are weaponized, watch out. So sometimes in the heat of a moment when things aren't going your way, you'll say something like, hello, are you an idiot? Do you have eyes? Do you have ears? Do you hear what I'm saying? You're insane. You're dumb. What, I'm filling whatever blank, right? These are escalatory words, meaning if you use them, it's like pouring gas on a fire, and once again, don't forget about the nonverbal communication. Don't forget about your body language and your expressions and your posture and your gestures. I always tell people, your gestures give weight to your words. Don't forget about your intonation. All of this must be kept under control during a heated conversation or conflict. This is hard stuff. Not just a guard from my mouth, but all of my mannerisms and how I say things. I was talking to my kids about this. A linguist is a person who studies language. And they try to actually observe every facet of a language, like vocabulary and grammar, and even sounds and stresses of a language. So in English, 
Most sentences have one heavy stress in them. And what they found is that if you have more than one, if you have two heavy stresses in a sentence in English, it often communicates some sort of hidden meaning. Hidden meaning. So let me, ta- let me say the same phrase twice, and let me ask you what I'm communicating. What are you doing here? Versus what are you doing here? Or like, what are you doing Versus, what are you doing? Right? You hear the two heavy stresses. It's not hard to detect the abnormal stress pattern. And the hidden meaning is that I think that you're doing something wrong here. Right? I, didn't, I, I just asked a question, but is the way I asked it, it, there's a hidden meaning communicated. And this will immediately be picked up on. And the person that you are in a conflict with will immediately go into defense mode because they will sense that they are being attacked, and more than likely, they are. And we can attack people and not problems just with our intonation. And the problem that may have been created by your negligence or your laziness or your forgetfulness isn't being attacked, but you are, and so gasoline's poured on the fire, and fire consumes things, and the relationship now is in jeopardy. Communication is incredibly hard. This is hard stuff. It's very complex, and it's going to take a lot of hard work. So kids, remember this one? Like, my, my middle name is Anthony. So what message is communicated when my mom or dad says, Sean Anthony Clark, right? Three stresses, ah, right? Right? There's something communicated there. So the old adage of think before you speak is very helpful. Think about it. Think how your communi- how, how is this going to be received by the person. I get it. In reality, in the heat of the moment, we're not calm. We're not rational or careful. We are emotional creatures and we are invested people. But we still must practice self-control by the power of the Holy Spirit so that these conflicts we'll re- find ourselves in that are already charged with emotion can be kept from escalating because we use our words wisely. That makes sense? Ron Alchin is a biblical counselor that we actually had come here and, and teach a couple sessions. He says, we are teammates and we must treat each other as such. Your spouse, your family, they're, they're on your side, man. They're your teammates. You're not fighting them. We're teammates. We must treat each other as such, teaming up to attack any problem that would divide us and destroy our unity. We must work towards solutions to anything that might divide us. It is actually very easy and sometimes natural for me to name call, but it's not helpful. And it's actually much harder and therefore more productive and God-glorifying to use my words and my demeanors in an honorable way to attack the actual problem instead of people. And this one comes with a warning. Because when we attack people instead of problems, the text says that we grieve the Holy Spirit of God who resides in us. That won't bode well for you or anybody We don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. We want to be led by him and keep in step with him. And so rule number three is attack problems and not people. What's rule number three? Attack problems and not people. Rule number four, two more to go. These are brief. Rule number four is act, don't react. 
Ephesians 4, verses 31 through 32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God and Christ forgave you. Once again, notice the classic put-off, put-on language. There's an old way of living that comes natural to us that we need to get rid of, and in its place, because we're born again, made into new creations in Christ Jesus, we need to live a whole new way. We can't just react the way that we used to react. So everybody connect with me for a moment. This is where where it comes off the rails so often in our relationships. Regardless of how you are spoken to or sinned against, we must act like Christ, who is kind, tenderhearted, forgiving. We just have a tendency to react. Well, they didn't do rule one, two, or three, so I'm not going to do rule four. Like, that, that's not Christ-like at all. So no matter how you're spoken to, no matter what sin has been committed against you, we must, re- we must not react, we must act like Christ. And he was kind, he was tender-hearted and forgiving. And look at it, it says, just as God in Christ forgave you. Even if people commit, verse 31, sins against us, if they're bitter, wrathful, anger, clamoring, and slandering us, even if people commit, verse 31, sins against us, we must not react in kind. We must react in a verse 32 way. We must act in that way, in a way that's congruent with our new identity of being in Christ. So we respond with kindness and tenderheartedness in a tenderhearted way and willing to dish out forgiveness. Reactions make our problems worse, not better. So arm yourself with this mindset. Say, I can act like Jesus regardless of what the other person says or does. I can act like Jesus now who had insults hurled at him. And yet he said, Father, forgive them. That's what you can do. There is not a he or she made me do it phrase that's accurate. No one made you do anything. You are called to act like Christ and not react sinfully towards people. So people, once again, our Christianity happens in moments. It happens in moments. Do you know when I've not followed these rules? Usually, it's when I'm trying to get my boys to help out around the house. And like, if, if there's a lag in obedience, something like that, then I can get frustrated and I can react in a wrong way. That's not right. It can, even help, it can even happen like when we're trying to help our kids memorize Bible verses for Awana. Isn't that crazy how subtle this can be, right? Might not be acting or responding in a right way, but I'll say something like this. Well, come on, this verse is easy. Come on, anyone can do it. Just listen to me. I did it in three seconds, Right? It's like, an, I'm, I'm like attacking. I'm condescending, I'm belittling. This is, and this is while we're trying to memorize the Bible. That's how easy we can slip into these things. And so I can speak in a condescending way toward them or people I love, and when I do, I'm not abiding by rule three. And often they might not be reacting in the right way. 
And so it's easy to react to their reactions in a way that's wrong. And then when I do that, I'm breaking rule four. Who's going to save me from this body of death? Who can help me get control over this untamable tongue of mine? Thanks be to Jesus Christ, our Lord, and this takes a lot of work in cooperation with him. So rule number four is act, don't react. And lastly, rule number five is to listen attentively. What's rule number five? Listen attentively. So we're going to be brief with this last rule of engagement, but hopefully you'll listen attentively for just a few moments so that you can notice the importance of listening attentively. All right? James 1.19, know this, my beloved brothers, let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Proverbs 18.13 says this, if anyone gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. Foolish and shameful if you don't listen very attentively. All throughout the Proverbs, attentive listening is highlighted. We hear it in statements like, pay attention. Give me your ear. Incline your ear to my voice. This is, this is the biblical author pleading with us. Please listen to the words I'm saying so that you can listen to the words other people are saying. A lot of us, me included, are really bad at listening. Sometimes we don't even listen at all because we're busy formulating a response, right? Oh, I know how to, I know how to defend that or whatever. We're much more inclined to state our opinion instead of listening to someone else's. And when we do, we're prone to making the conflict spiral out of control. And we ought to consider other people more important than ourselves. So we need to listen to what they say. We should be conscientious about how we listen and give them, those that we're talking to, our full, undivided, and undistracted attention. I had to do this when I go on dates with Suzanne. Like, if we go to, like, a restaurant and there's, like, a TV there, oh, my goodness, like, I have to, like, try to, like, not see the TV. Because if, if sports are on, I'm like, oh, you know, right? Or even, like, even little things. It's, it's hard for me. But I'll be sitting, and, like, I can eavesdrop on somebody else next to me. I'm like, well, that sounds like an interesting conversation. <laughs> and, like, I can't, I can't, it's like my ear, like, like, uh, like Shane talked about, like, tune my heart, you know? Like, I need to tune my heart to Suzanne. I need to actively listen to her. I'm on a date with her, Right? This stuff is hard, but hard things are worth it. And abiding by these five rules of engagement as you're empowered and led by the Holy Spirit just might transform your closest relationships for the better. So here's five rules. Be honest. Keep current. Attack problems and not people. Act. Don't react. And listen attentively. When I've done counseling with people, sometimes I'll just I'll quiz them. I'll be like, hey, what's rule number three? And, and if, they don't, if they don't, can't spit it out, I'll be like, okay, let's go over it again. Let's do these again. Because our Christianity is lived out in the day-to-day moments. This is where all this stuff matters. So be honest. Keep current. Attack problems, not people. Act, don't react. Listen attentively. What are the five rules? And I'm going to invite the worship team to go ahead and come on up as we review this for the pop quiz. Rule number one is what? Be honest. Rule number two is to keep current. Rule number three is attack problems, not people. Rule number four is act, don't react. And rule number five is listen attentively. Let's pray.
God, I pray that you would help us obey these. Once again, if it was up to me to obey these things, it doesn't, none of these come natural to me. Being an escaper, being someone who wants to just clam up, someone who wants to be derogatory, people that bother me, I can react to them, and I can just want to formulate my own opinions all the time. So none of these come natural, so I need your help. I need your help, God, and I believe that everyone in this room needs your help, and everyone who's listening online needs your help as well. So God, I pray that you would hear our confession now, and that this would be the beginning process of transformed relationships because we abide by what your word has told us, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand as we respond in musical worship.